Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you today. Uh, We want to take a moment and honor all the vets in the house. So... If, if you are a veteran, will you please stand? And stay, stay standing, stay up. On behalf of your church family, we want to say thank you. Thank you for serving this nation. Thank you for sacrificing. Thank you for um, answering the call that uh, many did not. Thank you for putting your life on the line. Thank you for dealing with the things that you have maybe had to deal with because of what you were called to do and you said yes. Thank you for honoring God in your service. And thank you for honoring us by being a part of this church family. We love you. We love you. You may be seated. Thank you. Um, one more thing before I get to the, get into the, the message. We are um, completing our missions pledge or our mission pledges um, so that we can set our budget next year for um, our missions program. So if uh, you could go ahead and complete those as we've been chatting about that, you can do that online. Uh, we just would love to get everything locked in and know what to shoot for next year and, and uh, see what God can do with us through as a church and impact the nations around us. So if you do that, that would be awesome. So we are, uh, we are concluding the, the Christ is King series today. And we have been looking at what does it look like to live in the reality that Jesus is actually king. Most of us believe that Jesus is king of heaven, but we don't fully believe that he's actually king of earth. And the reason is, is because we go, well, if that was true, then things would be different. But it's important we understand that the scripture clearly states that after the death and re- resurrection of Jesus, that all authority was given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. And it was Jesus who established a kingdom, a kingdom now of priests, which we are called, that through faith and receiving our salvation, we are, we are transported from the kingdom of darkness and sin and brought into the kingdom of God's son, Jesus. We become his family. We become what we, Paul calls us ambassadors now of Christ. And it's important we understand this because if you think that the kingship of Christ, mm, it's kind of here, then we act as though mm, it's kind of here. If we understand our, our place in the kingdom of God and our place as God's call over our life, we will, we will see the world differently. And because God is a family man, he always does things with his family. 
And so Jesus purchased all authority. Jesus purchased the um, purpose of mankind back from Satan that was stolen from Adam to him as the perfect human, that as a steward of this world, and he purchased and broke and crushed the head of Satan, meaning he broke his, his power that was, that was born in the DNA. Sin was born in DNA of humanity, and there was nothing that could be done about it. Jesus crushed that through his resurrection. And he crushed it, and he stripped Satan openly. He, he, he crushed principalities. He made a public spectacle he died on the cross. He shouted, it is finished. There was an earthquake that happened within Israel. The veil in the temple was torn that separated, that, that represented separating God's, God from man. And he rose from the dead. He hung out with his disciples for 40 days. And we, we have this, we see this. I wish we, someone had written more about it. But he spoke to them about the kingdom. And right before he went to go to heaven, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Because of that, go and make disciples of nations, teaching them what I have taught you. And so we've been looking at this idea that there are biblical governments that were, that were designed by God. They were designed by him for the purpose of carrying out the mission of God on the earth through these particular governments. And we need to, we have established and understood that there is no realm on this earth that does not belong under the kingship and ruling authority of Jesus Christ. It doesn't exist. So America belongs to Jesus. Canada belongs to Jesus. So you name it. Iceland belongs to Jesus. All these, they, it belongs to Jesus. And so the plan of God was, which, which we're, we're growing and learning, the plan of God was, hey guys, it's, it all belongs to me. Your job is to now go and teach them what I've taught you because we are in the age of my kingdom now. So you go and you teach them. You go and you teach them what I've taught you. And so this wasn't like, hey, go and, go and tell them that I, I died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then just go to the next place. No, that, that's not just what he did. This wasn't just evangelism. This was bringing the nations of the world under the rule and the law of King Jesus. And we, as what we are called ambassadors, are to exercise the crown rights of Jesus in the nations. And so the disciples believed that, and they went to the end of the known world, and they made disciples of nations. They stood and said, hey, you're worshiping this pagan God. Uh, just real quick, that pagan God, that, that demonic entity that you're worshiping has been crushed by the resurrection of Jesus. And there is a God who now he is supreme. And he has rules and laws for your life that are for your good because he's a loving and good God. So they began speaking to people in leadership. They began standing before kings. 
They began getting in trouble because Caesar thought he was the only king, the only one. They, they even saw him as divine. And then the disciples started, started declaring, huh, nice try. There is another king, and he is the only king, and his name is King Jesus. That's what they did. And they were empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit to disciple nations. But they also taught other aspects of the kingdom. How do we bring forth the glory of God in government of self? And they taught this is through our submission to Christ. This is through, this is through us coming underneath his kingship. And we talked about that. That really this is not about, this is not about power or manipulation. This is not about um, influence. What we are doing today is we are bringing glory to Christ in the areas of what already belongs to him by applying his word and his purposes as ambassadors. And every time you do that, you establish the kingdom of God. Satan is pushed back and Jesus, we are helping reclaim that which has been lost, but we are the ones who are reclaiming it. And so we need to understand this. So this is important in ourselves this is important in church government that we, church is not to do whatever it wants. A church that is under the kingship of Christ is a group of pastors and elders who say, hey, Jesus, we want what you want. And so you let us, let us do that. And when you do that, you establish the kingdom of God and that God has access to do great things through you. In our families, that's, that's why we looked to the word of God and looked at the role of family, the covenant of family, of marriage and husband and wife and children. And, oh, okay, if we bring that under the kingship of Christ, it begins to bring great fruit that the world can taste from and go, man, that's good and establish the kingdom of God. Today, I wanna to talk about the realm of civil government. But we need to understand that there is no realm on earth that doesn't belong to Christ, which I've already said. The answer in this world, like the choices that we have is either chaos or Christ. There's no in between. The options that we have on how society, our marriages, Ourself, our marriages, our churches, and our civil government. The options that we have, either it, they come under the kingship of Christ or they are chaos. If you were to apply that, you go and you look at that. Yeah, a person who doesn't have Christ and is absolutely does whatever they want with no reverence to God whatsoever, their life is chaotic. Families, chaotic. Churches, chaotic, governments without Christ are chaotic. And so we, we wanna ask the question, what does this mean? So what does this mean for us in 2023? What does this mean for his, God's kingdom right now today? How are we as disciples to apply this reality in our world for the purpose of bringing glory to Christ Jesus in his kingdom. What did, what, did, what did the apostle Paul mean when he says, you are ambassadors of Christ? In other words, you belong to another kingdom 
than the, than the other kingdom that you were in. So when you're an ambassador, you go to another nation, you're an ambassador, you are representing, if you're an American ambassador, you are representing the principles and the, and the authority and the government of the United States of America. And you go as an ambassador. So the embassy itself is viewed as property of the United States government. It is protected by United States military. Why? Because an ambassador is there. And that ambassador is there and wherever they are, they function from resources, not from the country they're in, they function from resources of the United States of America. They don't function in protection from what is there in that nation. They, they, they are protected from the kingdom that they're a part of, which is the United States of America. So we are ambassadors with this understanding, wherever we go, we go on mission to establish the principles, the, the biblical ideas, the values, and the truth of our kingdom that is superior to any kingdom on the earth, which is the kingdom of God. That's our mission. And so we apply that to ourselves, we apply that to families, we apply that in church, we apply that to our city, we apply that at work, we apply that in our whole lives. And so we're, this is what, what this looks like. Meaning that we don't act independently from Christ's kingdom. No, we act and we speak and we live in the manner in which Christ would on this earth. And most believers have been deceived that our faith in Christ, it's, that's just, it's just personal. That faith is just personal. It's just something that I believe and it doesn't really have any impact on the world around me, but it's my personal faith. And so we have been deceived that we are not to apply our faith in the world. And that we've even been deceived to think, yeah, but that's inappropriate, Jason. We've even been deceived, but, but Jason, if I do that, then I'll lose my job. But Jason, if I do that, then my friends will reject me. And we've been told by, by some demonic force, the only place that you can express the worship of your king and express the reality of his kingdom is in the church building. And so if you do that, Hey, you're a good Christian. That was never the idea of the, of the commission from Jesus to believers. What's interesting is if you look at Psalm 2.8, it's God, it's a prophetic, it's God speaking to his son Jesus. And he says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. He was speaking of the work that Jesus was going to do. Hadn't come yet. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. But this was what was in mind. And this was not about the one day. 
which many Christians have, have reduced or deduced this idea of the kingship of Christ and the nations to one day. Well, if I was the devil, that would, that would be a great thing to seduce Christians into believing because they go, well, but one day. But here's the other thing, that one day that all the nations will bow, that one day that Psalm 2-8 will come, come to pass, actually doesn't have anything to do with us. It's about Jesus. One day people will bow to him, but that's not the call of God to believers, that we are a part of his family to bring forth his kingdom on the earth. And so, as a church, I want us to grow in this. I want us to begin to see the world differently. And so we are to do things in the manner in which Christ would do them. And we ask the Holy Spirit to do that through us, that we would bring glory to our King. And so, we've looked at these different distinct areas of biblical government. They are what is, what's laid out in Scripture. It's also really important that we understand how the government functions. But before I get there, a government, meaning they're institutions established by God and endowed with limited authority in a specific sphere with a specific purpose. And so what does this look like to bring the will of God and the purposes of God and the word of God into each one of these spheres. And so these, these governments, I want us just to look at them, just I've already mentioned them, but the self, church, family, and civil. Now what many people actually get confused is that they don't know that each one of those is to be autonomous from the other. And where confusion comes in and issues have come in over the years is that the church tries to be the, the, the power broker over the self. So it, what happens is, is they, they limit or they control. Now, all of these governments fall under the, the principles of God, which is he gives us free will and choice. But so all of these must be maintained by free will. So none of, these, none of these governments are to, are to act as God, as supreme, but they are to respond to the biblical responsibility. So church is, is not, to, not to get involved and, and tell a family what they, what, they, what they should and should not do. Now, excuse me, we can tell them, but we don't have the authority to, to, uh, um, to make that happen. Why? Because it's inappropriate. That's not the purpose of the church. Government... Civil government should not tell the church what they can and cannot do. They, they, can, they can tell us, hey, this building, it's up the fire code, great. They can tell us, hey, yeah, you need to wire it this way, you need to do this so that it keeps people safe, great. But they can't tell us what we teach in God's word. They can't tell us if we can gather or not because the church doesn't belong to them. Civil government has a responsibility by God. Self, we are given the choice and will of submission to Christ. That's how we bring him glory. Church, we are, what we use is the word of God. What we use is, is we gather and we allow his presence to move in our midst and we equip. 
family, what we have as we, and a family is there's correction in the home to raise children, to bring glory and honor to God. And we impress onto their hearts God's kingdom in their life. And civil government has a responsibility according to scriptures. So what is it? And what does it look like? Paul writes this about civil government. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now he's writing this to the church in Rome. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. I want to pause there for a moment because what Paul is explaining is a government, a civil government that is, that is doing their biblical job. Let me ask you this question. How does the civil government know what is right and what is wrong? So if, if, if we are under the kingship of Christ, who informs what is right and who informs what is wrong? Because if a civil government begins now to punish people for doing what God says is right and reward people for what God says is wrong, they are now not, they are now not a, um, a servant of God. They are hostile. The civil government becomes hostile to the kingdom of God because we're building the kingdom. And civil government under God's kingdom, under the rulership of Christ, has a purpose. To, it, it is to, to punish it is to bring what is called the sword. It is they are to make decisions that honor Jesus in this area of punishment and protection for the civilians that live within their, within their, their government. So he goes on to write, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. In other words, what is right? For the one in authority is God's servant for you. So civil government that is operating and enforcing laws or rules that is contrary to God's law is not, God is not calling them his servants. God would not call someone or some a government his servant when they are actually hostile to the purposes and to the will of God. So what Paul is describing here is a government that is being informed by believers. A government that, is, that is, understands its place and being informed by what God calls right and what God calls wrong. But if you do wrong, be afraid for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Also, it would be inappropriate for, for the, like our church government, for me and Pastor Dave and our, and our elders and Pastor Jim to sit around. We're like, well, I don't, do we kill them or not? I, how do we? I, well, that's inappropriate. That is not what the church government is to do. But it is what civil government is to do as they are God's servants. 
Therefore, it's necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then, then honor. So the role of civil government to bring glory to Christ is, is a government that carries out the will of God to bring glory to Christ through its actions. It, it, civil government protects the innocent and punishes those who are inflicting oppression on the innocent. That's what they're supposed to do. It's how you keep order. It's how you keep law. It's how you protect your society. So civil governments are to, are to um, they're the ones that make decisions about public education. Even though, but the person who's responsible for the education of their child is in the family. That's the government of the family, education. So if civil government is making decisions or the ministry of education and they're, they've been hijacked by some demonic force, guess what they're going to be teaching our children? And so what we have been told as believers is, well, you know, that's education can't really get involved in that. What, we, who said that? Who, wait, if we actually love our community, if we actually love the innocent, if we actually love those who, are, who, who are, God has put in our, in our midst to serve and take care of, we should care as Christians because we, we don't make decisions based off of our values. We make decisions based off of God's truth and his value. You see, you can't have a truth unless you have a greater reality that you look because if we're all self, we just, uh, you know, my truth is your truth. That's baloney. Or, but I believe this, you believe that. Hey, they're both true. That's stupid. Why? Because, and honestly, if anybody had, a, most people had an ounce of intellectual um, integrity, they would be like, yeah, that is dumb, actually. That makes no sense. But believers are called by God to make disciples of nations. And you are called by God to make disciples in the spheres of governments within those nations. This is the long game. It's the long game. So when I say this, you think, well, boy, that's hopeless. And most of us go this, well, that'll never happen in my lifetime. You're right. You're right. But God didn't call us to just think about us and our generation. He called us to think about building the kingdom over years and years and years. And to give the next generation a footing to stand on where they understand this is their call too. So civil government is tasked with dispensing justice to bring glory and honor to Jesus. They are to be the minister of justice, to provide protection and safety. But the justice, the civil government is to administer justice that's defined by, by God's truth. Now when I say this, you think this is impossible. Well. What's happened over the years is that the church has been told 
don't get involved. When I say church, I'm not talking about church government. I'm talking about believers have been told, don't get involved. That's politics. Don't get involved. That's, that's not, you know, separation of church and state. Don't get involved because, um, you know, you can't do anything about it. And so what, we have, what, what has happened is that we've been convinced that we should retreat from these areas that are biblical. And don't, you, don't, don't say anything to the educational board because, you know, it's, it's not really our territory. Except it is Jesus' territory. He does have all authority and all power. And he said, I want you to go and apply the crown rights of my authority. How do, how, how do you do that? How, how do the disciples do that? They went to the nations. They went to the situation. They went to the synagogue. They went to the streets. And when they were in conversation, they said, you know, actually, God says this is truth. That which you just have spoken is not truth. Actually, this is how God designed humanity. This is how God designed things. And so God called believers to be, now listen to this, light set on a hill. And you know what light is on a dark hill? It's different than everything else around them. It's almost like we're an ambassador that is almost like in a kingdom that's not ours. And it's almost like we are to use our influence to bring glory to Jesus. Now, where many people get this wrong is they think it's about power and control. And they think it's about, it's about let's, let's create a, a, a system that... The church controls everything. No, 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 no. This is about let's, let's understand our purpose and call in the world is to bring glory to Jesus. And everything we do matters. And everything we, we don't do and we should do matters. There was a quote that says, there is no place on earth that Jesus doesn't declare mine. We have been given the responsibility to remind those places of his truth in the spirit of our king. So it's imperative for us to understand is that even speaking about the, the obedience to what, what Paul was talking about, talking about the obedience to, um, to current civil government, like obedience does not mean that we obey a government that has high, that's been hijacked by the powers of the devil. So the word of God is not submitted to government. Please understand civil government, but civil government is to be submitted to the word of God. And so those within God's kingdom are to be submitted to God's principles and his word first and foremost with an understanding of the biblical role of government. So the church's role is to teach biblical virtues. How do we live our lives? 
How do we lead our families? How do we love our wives? How do we, how do we what's, what's the biblical marriage and how we interact with one another? And how do we grow in our relationship within marriage? How do we raise children that bring glory to Christ? How do we lead our businesses? How do we live lives of purity and honesty and integrity? But also the church's role and believers are to be equipped with information and the Bible and your own growth and your own life as well is to inform and respond to civil government according to the principles of King Jesus. And so we're to act on our faith. Many times we, we look at our faith and we go, yeah, I have faith. Well, what, is, what does my faith look like? What, what, how do I act on it? How, how, do I, how do I declare what truth is when I'm in a conversation that clearly a lie has been stated? I had a conversation uh, with, with my son. And uh, listen, my children aren't perfect, so um, please, um, I, I just don't tell the bad story, so that's really all that is. Uh, but he was, he's, in, he's in a university, and uh, it's a Christian university, and he's taking theology, but he has to take this other class of uh, psychology. So he's in there, and so as the teacher begins teaching, the, she, she separates biological sex now with gender. So your biological sex, and so whether you're, no matter what, you, there's your gender, gender fluid over here, and he's like, and he goes, Dad, I, I didn't want to be disrespectful. I, he said, but I just raised my hand. I said, are, are we going to look at the Bible and see how the Bible defines gender at any time here? <laughs> Not a big deal. But he was scared to death. But there are things that we are presented with that we can go... Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, right? Like this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. That's the right answer right there. But, but if, if we do not, there's no one else left to do it. Amen. Why are we seeing what we're seeing? We have become very familiar with bushels. And we can paint those bushels to be, you can paint love on it. You can write love and make it pretty. You can, you can put whatever you want on it and call it, you know, just something else or tolerance. You can write tolerance on it. You can, you can write whatever you want on it. It's still a bushel. And we're still hiding. And I just believe Jesus wants to liberate us to be the light that shines and to be the voice in the midst of darkness.
Because if it's not you, then who? So we are to be, when we come to church, the purpose of church is to be equipped. Here's what's funny. The Bible calls, the Bible doesn't call the pastor the minister. But we do live in a world where you come to church for the minister to minister. But according to Ephesians 4, it says, Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service. Another translation says works of ministry. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Here's the, here's the great tragedy of the American church. We have redefined being in the service of God and being in ministry as what happens at church. And it's assigned to a, a few people that, that teach and, and do other things. The Bible flips that on its head and says, no, hang on. The congregation is, they are the ministers in the world. Yes, I have areas when I go out, I'm a minister in the world. But we come here to be equipped together by God's word so then we can go and stand and let our light shine as little as it may be or as subtle as it may be. But there are going to be times when that little light that shines is going to be so bright because of how dark everything else is. But we're still to shine. The church is to believers are to apply God's word to the areas of their life that God places them in. And so this applies to the realm of education, to the realm of health, to the realm of economics, to any realm that believers touch with their lives. Christ our King, our King, like King Jesus said, go and teach the nations. Now, we like to think that's some nation somewhere else that needs to be taught. Um, just look around for half a second. Our nation needs to be discipled. We need to be a, a church that believes this great commission applies to the actual nation that we're in. It's very fun, it's great, it's great because we can be passionate about another nation somewhere else because we don't have any responsibility to it. But when you start talking about your nation, you go, well, who's gonna do it? That's me, I guess. Yeah, but my, you know, I, that, means, that means I gotta, I gotta worry about my neighbor. It means I gotta, I gotta love my neighbor as myself. That means I should probably learn their name. I should probably just go over and, and like, Say hi to them. It probably means I should, uh, if they're going through something, say, hey, man, I'm a Christian. It's okay if I pray for you. Um, we should start being lights. We should start loving people. And so what you think you are willing to do in another nation, in a street that's full of people you've never met, I'm going there to, to be a missionary. That, that's great. And I know people are called to people groups. No, I get it. I totally get that. But you're still called to your neighbor. And we're still called here to Arvada, the surrounding towns, around us, cities, around us. They belong to Jesus. What are we doing? 
How are we acting that way? How are we applying our faith? When you talk with people who are, they're hurting and broken, they've been deceived. Also one of the greatest tragedies of the church is we've, we've made those who are deceived by the enemy, the enemy. No, 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 they are not our enemy. They've been deceived by the enemy. And we need to understand that God has a purpose and a call in every one of their lives, but it is truth that sets people free, not tolerance. It's truth. It's truth in love. It's truth in gentleness. It's truth by discernment, but it's truth that sets people free. And so we, we walk in this reality. He said, go make disciples. So bringing, bringing civil government, bringing glory to Christ through civil government is so important. So civil government is God's idea. It was for the purpose of mankind to steward the laws of God. It's, it's much like a, a, a fence. It's a, they're boundaries that keep animals in and also predators out. So civil government should be incredibly concerned about the security of the borders of our nations. But Christians should be con incredibly concerned about the vulnerable people who are now in our nation. We should care about them. But civil government should care because their goal is to protect the citizens within their care according to the scriptures. Civil government was designed by God to protect humanity from evil humanity. If you don't, like, governments who don't uphold laws are governments that don't last. So, what's our first way of bringing glory to Christ through civil government? Number one, pray for our civil government. First Timothy 2 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings, for all those in authority, that we, may, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So we hear this a lot. This is good. It pleases God our Savior. But why do, why, why does, why do we pray that the government helps us live peaceful and quiet lives? Verse 4. Because it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind... The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as ransom for all people. So when we pray for our civil government, we're praying that, hey, that we could live peaceful and quiet lives so we can keep being a light shining on a hill. This is about that we can practice our faith openly, that we can, we can tell people about Jesus, that we can stand, that we can speak up for truth. This is why we want civil government. We pray for them so that we can reach this nation and reach our city and reach our neighbor, that the government would not enact laws that would say, hey, shut up, you can't say that. So this is what it's meaning. This doesn't mean you just, whatever they tell you to do, just, okay, I'll do it, just be peaceful and quiet. There are account after account that the government said, hey, Peter, shut up. Peter, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And he said, should I fear man or God? Let's go with God. I'm going to not shut up. So there's this understanding of why Paul told Timothy to do this. Because God wants the world saved. And civil government is supposed to allow believers to do what they're called to do. Now, 
I want you to also look at this. First, he says this. And all, I want you to first pray. Americans, we go first, act. Americans go first, let's do something. And there's a time for doing something. I'm just saying that first, pray. I want you to understand what was going on at this time. Nero was the ruler. Paul told Timothy to pray for Nero. Nero was an evil, demonic man. I mean, he, he was married to a man and a woman at the same time. He, he, he used to dip, he hated Christians. He used to, the most well-known one is he would, he would dip them in, in wax and he would display them at his parties and burn Christians as light for their festivities and pagan worship. He was, one of his, one of his wives was pregnant and he killed her murdered her by kicking her to death. I mean, he, he was more than a few french fries short. Like, there was nothing in his box but evil. And Paul says, we need to pray. And so this is what was going on. It was a terrible time for Christians. There's a bigger picture. It was during this time that the church exploded. They're running for their lives. The gospel is spreading. It's transforming. Families are being changed. Cities are being changed. Nations are being changed. And Paul says, I want you to pray and intercede for kings and people and authority. But obviously the prayers are shaped to allow so that the gospel can continue to spread and continue to change lives. So many times we pray, we think we, think we know. We pray against certain people, but we should pray, Lord, I'm not for sure about this leader. Actually, I am sure. But I pray that you move their hearts and you guide them in such a way that we as the church can spread the gospel and transform our nation. That's what we pray. The issue is, the issue is most people put, the, most people put their hope in that individual. No, no, we're to pray that God's will would be done through them so that the church can grow and prosper and our nation can bow its knee. And so that our nation can be blessed because the scripture says, blessed is the nation whom God is their Lord. That's what we want. I, we don't know the big picture, but what we do know, we can pray. So we, we pray that the laws that civil government strike down or uphold values life. We pray we understand the scripture clearly says that babies are knit together in their mother's womb. The moment of conception is formed. It has a future. We, we pray that the leaders of our government would stand and uphold religious freedom. Why? Because the very beginning of humanity was about freedom. They were given freedom by God. The freedom to choose. 
We pray that our leaders will uphold laws that protect our national security. We pray that our leaders would uphold laws that are submitted to the word of God in the areas of marriage and sexuality and gender. We pray that our leaders would uphold and establish laws that would protect our children from demonic indoctrinations from the education system. That evil would be exposed for our children would be protected. That the leaders of our cities, our state, would see the hypocrisy and idiocy that a child needs a parent's signature to go on a field trip, but not for a gender transition. This, we're to pray. Pray first. Secondly, honor Jesus in everything that that you do and say. Honor Jesus. Don't back down from Jesus. Don't back down from Jesus. Doesn't matter who you're in the presence with, a pagan, a Muslim, a Jew, it doesn't matter. An agnostic, it doesn't matter. Use King Jesus' name. Don't let another Christian tell you that's inappropriate to use the name of Jesus. That is demonic and from the spirit of Antichrist. There's a pastor I greatly admire. He's, his name is Tony Evans. A great pastor, just love him. He was invited to City Hall. And they said, listen, we want you to come and open up us in prayer. I said, but here's the deal. Um, Don't mention Jesus. We want you to stay generic. Use use the, the generic God that a lot of weak pastors use at, you know, certain things. Because they're weak. Jesus... It lets me out. So they said that, just use generic God, right? <laughs> because we have Jewish people there, they're agnostics, they're agnostics, and we don't want to offend anybody, so just use generic God. Don't mention Jesus. So he went to City Hall, they introduced him, and he prayed this, Father, <laughs> I want to thank you for this opportunity to pray for the city council, and I thank you for creating each council member. And according to, to Colossians 1 verse 16, everything was created by Christ Jesus. So I have to thank Jesus for creating these wonderful city council people. Then he prayed, I thank you for, for creating government because government is, institution, is an institution of God according to, to the apostle Paul in Romans 13, who met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that God, you would guide them and their decisions and making And what they do, in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) But when he was telling this story, he he ended it this way. He said, listen, don't, don't, hang on. Don't get this twisted. If you don't want to hear about Jesus, don't invite me. But because I want as much of the Father as I can get. So if I deny Jesus, I block the Father because he said, He will deny me if I deny the son. So this means that we understand the kingship of Jesus. Mark 12, 17 says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. All things are under the authority of God through his son, Christ. So we need to understand. So when we come to voting, which many of us did, hopefully, we don't come to the voting ballot with our 
party affiliation in mind. We come to the voting ballot with King Jesus in mind. We come to honor Christ. Listen, I, I get a, you're a Republican, right? Uh, I'm a Christian. Because I don't know. I don't know. Republicans can, can go this way or Democrats can go. The, I don't, I, but what I do know is I'm a Christian. And so I vote the Bible. Why? Because it hasn't changed, never will change. It's God the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I can trust that one. These other folks, man, they're weird. But Jesus, he's on. He never moves. Number three, last one, act from the kingship of Christ. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, four, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Do not forget about the kingship of Christ. Do not forget. I just want to take, I want to end this way. If someone could come out on the keys, I forgot to give them the cue. So that's the cue. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Come on. It's great. Love how he serves us. God ordained governments were designed by God to carry out the instruction of the word of God. So look at this passage in Colossians. The, the last verse, 17 and he, meaning Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What that means is that, and that all things hold together in Christ, okay? We are the ambassadors of Christ. We carry Jesus. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Jesus is not going to fulfill the Great Commission by himself. That's why he said, you go. I'm going. Now you go to the nations. And so what we have seen historically as more Christians have retreated from these areas of government, education, family. We've retreated from what it means to raise a godly family. We've retreated from what it means to, to live integritous, pure lives. As Christians have retreated from the areas of society that are designed to bring glory to Christ because we've been told you can't do that, you can't go there. The further believers have gotten away, the more chaotic life has become. Why? Because Jesus holds things together. Jesus is the one. We represent Jesus in these spheres. So the reason why these areas are chaotic is because believers don't understand. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We are citizens of heaven to be ministers of his kingdom wherever he has placed us. Many, many people believe that this, our interaction with civil government were to be like undercover Christians, right? So you're, if you can get in there and nobody knows too much about it, then you can get in there and maybe get a seat at the table and then begin to talk about biblical things We've missed it. We've missed the plot. We don't need a seat at the table. The table belongs to Jesus, the whole thing, the whole purpose. And so we as believers need to see things differently. We as, we, 
The church should equip and inform all of you who are called to be in civil government and be your support, be your champion, inform, inform you through teaching, through encouragement of God's word, be a champion. When you leave here, you are entering your mission field to where God has called you to be. It is this, we need our young people to understand, listen, you can, listen, you can go to Africa or, or you can run for mayor or you can sit on city council or you could you could raise your hand and say, I don't think that's what the Bible says about that. We need a reigniting of an understanding of our purpose and call on the earth. And because Christ is king. William Wilberforce, who's one of my heroes, he served in the parliament of Great Britain he, he felt like he was called to ministry, called to ministry, be a pastor. But then also he felt called for government. And so he saw them as secular and sacred. But for a believer, there is no secular. Everything we do is for the glory of God. There is no secular. And so he had a, a good friend who said, um, I think you could be a minister in the halls of parliament. You could represent Christ. John Newton, who used to be a slave boat owner and, ra and just radically got saved and repented for the atrocities that he, that he did in trafficking um, slaves back and forth from Africa, informed William Wilberforce about the realities of the slave trade, how, how it was evil, and how if he has a chance to do something, he should. So, William Wilberforce felt it was his charge to abolish slavery. On October 28, 1787, he wrote this in his diary, God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of slave trade and the reform reformation of morals. In 1789, he addressed the parliament and spoke of his conviction and stated, let the consequences, listen to this, listen, their whole economy was built on evil slave trade. He says, let the consequences be what they would. I, from this time, determined that I will never rest until I have effected the abolishment of slavery. He received death threats. He received, he was enemy number one. And so he embraced the guilt himself. And when he said that same year, I mean not to accuse anyone, but to take the shame upon myself. 20 years after his diary entry, 20 years after many death threats, difficult days, in 1807, the moral cause and political momentum for the abolishment of slavery had finally become irresistible. At 4 a.m., February 24th, 1807, the House voted 283 to 16 towards the abolishment of slavery. And at one point, the House rose and turned to a man, Wilberforce. And Wilberforce sat as they cheered 
and roared, hear, hear. And it was out of order, but they kept cheering and chanting. And Wilberforce sat head bowed, weeping. We have forgotten that we're playing the long game here. We have forgotten that what we do can't be selfishly for my generation, me. What do I get to build? What do I get to do? What is my legacy? No, no. Satan's been playing the long game from the beginning. And the church has been seduced into playing the short game. The only think about their generation, my generation, me. No, no. We must think of two generations, three generations, four generations of the decisions we make today. Because, friends, at the end of the day, everything you possess goes back in the box. And the only thing that lasts forever is what you invested into the kingdom. And let's, we as a church, make a decision that we're going to live from the kingship of Christ in every area of our life. May we encourage one another. May we pray for one another when we're intimidated or scared. Or may we get counsel from one another and how to do it in a way that is honoring to Jesus. May we talk amongst our university students and how can you be a light in the midst of where you are? May we understand it is our purpose. We come to church to be encouraged, to be equipped, and then we leave to change the world. We leave to slay giants of demonic oppression. We leave to be a light and a hope. We leave for the, for, to help the next generation so they're not seduced into horrible decisions about their life. We leave knowing the mark that we're going to leave on this earth is not going to have our name on it. It's going to say, for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. God, we thank you for the challenge that deeply speaks to us. Lord, you're starting something here in our church. And it's, and it's to look around and bring my kingdom. So Jesus, today I ask you that you would speak to every one of us that we would understand what it means to bring glory to you. And God, we pray today that you would raise up believers whose God is the Lord, who want to represent you in the area of civil government for the peace and prosperity of our cities, of our counties, of our state, and of our nation. Lord, let it start here, and may you use us to bring forth your goodness and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If we can, let's stand. I love you all. That might have been one of my longest sermons, and I do apologize. I love you. Uh, if you need prayer today, our prayer team would love to pray with you. God bless you. 
We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.